Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Academy of Optometry. We're here at the Oculus booth filming the inaugural episode of the second season of May I Interrupt, as you can see right up here. My name is Craig Norman. My partner in crime over here is Dr. Jason Jedlicka, and we're really excited to be able to bring this to you this evening. Jason, how's it going? Welcome tonight, huh? This is it. We're cool. We, well, I always was cool, but okay. now we You're are cool. cool. You're right. cool. So, okay. uh, no, it's great. This is awesome. Um, the exhibit hall at the Academy, we're back to meeting in person, and um, there's a ton of people here. There's a great buzz, and of course, I don't think it's the buzz from the neon. I think it's the buzz for the meeting here, actually. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we're just excited to be here and to be starting back up with you guys for another season of May I Interrupt. Exactly. And just to make uh, everybody understand, we are normally masked up right now. We're just not masked up at the moment for recording. Correct. I have to admit, I'm saying that primarily for my wife. So she, I don't yeah, have to she explain be to on her you a little bit sure. later, you know, exactly why I didn't have that on. She would so, be on you for sure. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, you know, we, we had a really interesting first season. We had a number of guests. We played some games. We tried to instigate the two guests into debate and discussion. Sometimes even Jason and myself would do the same. But this season, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to have the game so much. What we're going to do instead is invite really interesting people to be part of this. People that are involved in the specialty contact lens field, uh, our experts, not only in contact lens fitting, but in the use of instrumentation, great in practice management, and talk to them how they're doing things. And while we're doing that, we want to make sure that everything is uh, um, understood and interesting and exciting. Jason, before we introduce our first guest, do you have anything else to add? Uh, I just want to say how excited I am for our May I Interrupt merch. So, um, you know, water bottles, golf balls. I mean, we're big time. Uh, we may have bobbleheads in the future. So we're, we're, we're big time, Craig. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So of course, every guest will get something. Of course. Right? You know, the merch is important. Uh, that uh, our guest here will be the first one to get a piece of this. And I'm sure our guest is super excited about that. And uh, so I say, let's get started. What do you think? I'm all for it. Okay. Let's go. So. Our guest this evening tonight is Dr. Elise Kramer. Elise comes to us from Southern Florida, has a couple of different practices, and has really over the last seven or eight years begun to make a name for herself in the specialty contact lens field. We're really happy to welcome you. Elise? Thank you. Thank you for it's coming. It's so nice to be here. Please have a seat. Hi. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. This is uh, an exciting time, our first virtual meeting in a while, I would say. Yes. Right? Yes. Except this one is virtual yet live. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, to be able to uh, see people, shake hands, hug people, it's a different entity. Yeah, yeah than, for than sure. It's, been, been it's, for a it's while. nice to see everyone in person again. And totally. I don't think anybody really knew what to expect for this meeting. Yeah, we weren't but sure. But you walk around and it feels like the attendance is. Pretty you know, good. Significant, so Absolutely. it's very exciting. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And talking contact lenses and whatever else you want to talk My about. My favorite yeah. thing to talk about. So can, can you give us a little deeper background about yourself? Uh, yeah. yeah. Starting, you know, with optometry school, 
and then until how you ended up in Southern Florida and your practices? Yeah, so I actually, my whole family are physicians. Um, uh, my dad's a pediatrician and I've got uncles in cardiology. My brothers are both in the medical field and I knew I wanted to be a doctor. It was just something I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I was applying, um, my mom developed a tumor behind her optic nerve. It was benign. It was a schwannoma. She started seeing double. And so I would go with her to all her um, appointments, her like uh, visits to oncology and this. And finally, she got radiotherapy, which was unheard of at the time in Canada. The treatment that everyone was like proposing was to remove the, the tumor, which had a 50% chance of you know causing blindness because it was so close to the optic nerve. So I would go to, with her to a follow-ups and stuff, and I really got into eye care. And that's why I applied to optometry. And I went to optometry school in Montreal, which is French. And then um, I ended up doing training in, in South Florida. Um, it was I was married, and it was kind of like we wanted to move to South Florida. So that's why I was looking into there, and I got a residency there at the VA, which was like a joint program with Baskin Palmer Eye Institute. Yep. And it was ocular disease. and um, during my residency there, I ended up fitting a ton of specialty contact lenses because I was working with a cornea specialist and I got more and more into it and I realized that's really the direction I wanted to do. I always wanted to have my own practice, but the niche I found was through my residency and through the end of my training. Um, one thing that's really interesting is I studied optometry completely in French and you know, Studying it in English is completely different because there's abbreviations like AMD is DMLA and just like interesting, interesting things like this. So I had to learn everything in Never English. Never thought about that, right. but you're totally and right. And then I get to Miami and no one speaks English, literally. So it was like for right. nothing. Right. <laughs> but yeah. That's, that's terrific. Uh, I think it's ironic that you got started interested in eye care because of someone who was having double vision. Yeah. And you probably treat it all the time now, but of a very different type. Of course. With the irregular corneas that you right. see Right, monocular to focus. Right, right, not, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, you know, one, one of the things that you and Jason Jedlick have in common is you both had private practices. Mm-hmm. And so, specifically for you, Elise, was... Um, was it easy for you to balance the risk-benefit factor of starting your own practice? You said that you wanted to do that. And... You know, I started cold, so I had one patient a week at the beginning. And it was a tough start, um, but it's what I wanted to do. And I believed in myself, and I believed in what I wanted to offer, and I just stuck to it. And I persevered. I think that... Um, I knew it was going to end up somewhere, and I slowly but surely got busier and busier. But yes, it was it was not easy. It was sure. challenging for sure. Um, like I said, the beginning was really really slow. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, for me, there was just this excitement about being able to build a practice that was very unique, because there's a lot of a lot of doctors are in private practice, but to build a private practice is really focused on a specialty, like specialty kind of lenses completely different and um, I don't know I, I found it really exciting I'm sure you probably did too but yeah and actually it's just been two weeks now that I completely stopped seeing primary care mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started off doing primary care with an emphasis in specialty lenses so I would take a lot of my primary care patients kind of convert them it was a good way to like specialize 
from primary care. Um, and now it's pretty much referral-based practice. So I kind of transformed it. But I do have, you know, someone working for me that does primary care. But I think, yes, building your own practice, having your own model, being your own boss, having your own schedule and doing it your way is something that is completely priceless and worth the, all the challenges that come with it. I think, I mean, I would have to think that there's a lot of people who'd be interested in knowing how to build a specialty practice because I, I think there's a lot of metropolitan areas that don't have a practice like yours or, you know, just not as developed as yours. I think that there's probably a lot of people who'd love to know, you know, any any ideas how you got there? I mean, what were, what were the biggest parts of growing it? Was it networking? Was it, you know, had you worked somewhere else before? And this is something I lecture on actually a lot yeah, with okay. Dr. Stephanie Wu. We do this a lot at the GSLS and, and other meetings. We've done this virtually as well. Um, and I think that uh, one of the things that is common among people is that they're afraid, you know, because, and, and I was afraid too, but, and I think everyone who starts their own practice is a little bit scared, but it's kind of a combination of uh, motivation and fear and that go together well and, and create success. So how do you start? I think you really have to get involved, whether it's with doctors in the area, just knocking on doors, literally. Um, getting involved at meetings, like local meetings, um, contact lens meetings, you know, uh, like the GSLS, for example, that's a huge one where you can network and it's the networking that really gets you places because yeah. then you meet people, you learn things, you um, get involved in different meetings, lectures, the Sclera Lens Education Society, um, things like that. And that's when you start. And the more you do, the further you go. So it's kind of like you're building your, your, it's a construction, right? It's like you're building something and attending these meetings and, and meeting people is the way to do it. So did you, did you work part time other jobs while you were growing your practice? Um, yes. So, and the more I would work at other places, the more it made me realize I do not want to work yeah, anywhere else. Yeah. So I worked at this practice in South Florida and I remember this patient coming in for an annual visit and they had cataracts and they had no complaints and I said you know what I'll see you next year right the, I got a call from the owners and they were furious with me for not scheduling this patient for surgery yeah. patient was 2025 no complaints and you know for me it's like annual I'll see you back next year and that was when I said I cannot work for anybody else I can't have someone tell me how to practice. Yeah. I need to do it my way. And and I need to feel good about the decisions I make, not, you know, reprimanded or criticized. And and that was just it was just the more I worked for other places, the more it just fueled the fire of why I went into my own practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean it's it's admirable, you know, when somebody is and, and doing it early in your career, I think, is a little bit easier from the standpoint that uh, you haven't been depending on somebody giving you a check every two weeks. <laughs> right. And right. it's hard to break away from that yeah. to start to be writing the checks every two weeks. <laughs> and I think it's also, it's like starting a residency once you've already started practicing. It's like while you're in the flow of education, right. just might as well do a residency. It's hard to make financial sacrifices once you're already in a comfort zone. That's why I never put myself in a comfort zone because I knew I would never go back, yeah. you know? Yeah. So Great. I was going to say one of the things that I think, at least when I built my practice, is the the jobs that I tried to find a supplement. I tried to pick find jobs that would 
feed my practice. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I would work part-time at a LASIK center. Well, any non-candidate for an irregular cornea, <laughs> come see in my practice. Yeah. Or work yeah. with a corneal specialist a day a week. And if they didn't want to do the lenses in office, refer to yourself. So I think there's ways that you can be creative to build that absolutely, practice. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I, I'm not, I'm say, at the beginning, I absolutely need to, because I needed to supplement my revenue sure. somehow. So it's it, it, it wasn't an option for me to just like sit there and wait for patients to, to call. So, so unlike primary care examinations, where there can be a lot of patient referral because of family members and friends, uh, it's not as easy, I would think, to get patient referrals for specialty lenses because you have to have friends like you're saying, whose eyes have diseases and right you're saying internally like from your own patients correct correct, correct. yeah so if that's true and do you agree it, i do it i is? do okay. yeah then what has been the couple of major ways that you've been able to build referrals i think building relationships with ophthalmologists mainly cornea specialists um but other ophthalmologists, you know, oculoplastics, um, glaucoma specialists, retina specialists, they see me as the contact lens girl now, the contact lens guru. And it's taken a while to get there. It's not automatic. But the referrals are mutual. I don't manage. I think you can't be a jack of all trades. So I think you got to give up part of the eye. Right. Say, listen, I don't manage glaucoma. As soon as I have a glaucoma suspect, I send them out. As soon as I have someone who's like a minus 10, I don't want to be looking at their retina. Like I can, sure. you know, but I want them to see a retina specialist. Right. So I send as much out as I can and that builds a relationship. So you can't just take, you've got to give as well. And it's constantly sending reports, um, calling and maintaining, going to dinner, going to lunch, like socially also interacting with yeah. these people that builds referrals. Just to build those relationships with the referral and right. the optometrist as well. I think one thing that I've learned from some colleagues is just to eliminate the optical is an idea. I have a small optical. It's certainly not the focus of my practice, but I have it for convenience. But I think one thing that optometrists are afraid of, and with reason, is losing their patients and losing their family members, as you mentioned, internal marketing. And so it's just being able to send those patients back and, and telling, explaining to the patient, I'm not taking care of your glasses. I'm your contact lens doctor. Go back there and get the rest done, yeah. you know? And that needs to be clear. And when optometrists see their patients coming back, happy because they got amazing contact lenses, but they're to purchase glasses, sunglasses, sure. and whatever else they need, they're happy and they feel comfortable sending you. So that has long been a struggle, I think, for many practices to get inter-optometry referrals. So do you think you've kind of cracked that though? In our beginning a little bit, that? absolutely, because I'm not competitive in that way where I would just want to take everyone's patients. I send them back, I send them reports, I even send them the lens parameters. So if they really wanted to, they could order the lens themselves. Right. And I've had optometrists call me and I've walked them through a fitting and when it just gets too much for them, they send it to me. So right. I don't mind helping, you know, because I know what I can do and I know there's enough to go around. Every other person has keratoconus. I mean, it's crazy, right? Yeah. So. What is the so what is the makeup of your practice now? Are you mainly irregular corneas? Do you do ortho K? Do you yeah. do multifocal? So there's what? three facets to my yeah. practice and I find that they, they're just very well intertwined. It's specialty lenses, which is mostly irregular corneas, right? But there's a huge section that's ocular surface disease, which ties really 
well with dry eye. So I do dry eye treatments like Lipiflow and Tear Care and, uh, and Blefex and other things. And then I've got myopia management, which I think is just growing in every practice and should be growing in every practice. So I do Ortho-K, I do, you know, center distance multifocals, atropine, low dose. So I do, those are the three main things. And it's all anterior segment and it's all contact lens related to a certain yeah. extent. So when, when you see the kids in the practice, do you try to see them separately from the rest of the patients? Rather than sitting around with a bunch of geriatrics, you know, that are in there worried about putting their own lenses in and out, or right. do you just take it with the flow? It's, it's funny that you ask that. And thinking about it, the geriatric patients tend to come in the morning, and the pediatric yeah. patients come at like four. Yeah, that's or a good 5 point. PM. That actually so, makes sense. You know, though. the geriatric patients don't come at four p.m. No, so, oh, they're having dinner and getting ready for bed. <laughs> You would know, Craig. So, I do. I know that. Without without even creating like a plan, it just happened that way. The kids come after school, right. you know, and the adult or the older patients come in the morning, right. you know. And, and of course, for the myopia management cases, in particular ortho that's when you do want to see them. Just yeah, later is, in the it day. is right. later in the day, especially, you know, later in the treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really very cool. So you have two offices, correct? Two, yes. And, and you split your time equally between them or do you? Yeah, I do two days in my Miami office and I do like two and a half to three days in, in the Weston office. So it's a lot of driving, but I don't mind. And honestly, there's, it, they're both really busy. And so I love are they, both. what, an hour apart or? Yeah, about 40, 40 minutes, I would say. Yeah. 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 That's good though. I mean, it's not the same location of patients right. and far right. enough away. It's interesting because the demographic is very similar between both. It's just a different location. Right. Yeah. Right. So you, you of course, are what I would view as an accomplished thorough lens fitter. And uh, have been riding this wave. It's been quite interesting <laughs> ever since been. you started your career. Right. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is new and different in scleral lenses? Anything that well, really has got your interest at the moment? I think aberrations is going to be up and coming. I mean, that's starting to be implemented more and more. I think there's a need for it. You know, I have patients that are very visually demanding, and they should be. Um, I don't discourage that. You know, some people are 20 happy and they're like 20, 50, and that's fine. But there's those patients that are 20, 20, and they're very unhappy. They have glare. They've got... They're seeing just they're not what they describe. I can't see it on the Snellen chart, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to helping those people because there's a need for it. I don't think it's it's everyone, but I really I'm excited for that. Um, I would love to see like 3D printing of contact lenses yeah. eventually, but that's far away. I think but, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I know. That's it could be closer than you think. What do you guys think of aberrations? Well, I think, you know, flippantly, it's been, you know, the wave of the future appeared for the longest time that it would always be. Yeah. You know, that it took such a long time to deal with it in spectacles and surgically. Yeah. You know, and so, but I think we're getting closer. I think we are. I, I think yeah. there's a lot of different levels of interest. Some really smart people at the university and research level are doing some great work there. So I think we're getting closer. Yeah. You know, and of course, presbyopia is huge right now. And yeah. I'm just looking forward to 
lenses working for more people, you know, because it's very pupil dependent, yeah. acuity dependent, and I'm just looking forward to helping more people with presbyopia because more and more people are getting it. I mean, yeah. obviously. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. The aberration thing you mentioned, and, and you see a lot of irregular corneas. Yeah. And, and the notion that a gas perm lens will correct the vision because it's masking the irregularity of the front. I mean, we don't think about the fact that there's irregular astigmatism on the back of the cornea. And every single yeah. cone patient you see has aberrations even through their cornea. Sure. We can't neutralize it all. You know, we just can't get there. Yeah. Now we um, are you working with aberration lenses now? Not yet. No, okay. not yet. Yeah, I, I think again. I, I know it's new. I know they're available. Limited. I know that there's more coming. I know that um, the, uh, for example, the Pentacam with the wavefront topography, the latest greatest version of Pentacam, which has it, I'm sure will integrate aberration correction with sclerals yeah. in the next few years too. That's where it really appears to be getting close, right? That you know, again, I, I've been working with it for about a year, and, and there have definitely been a percentage of patients that it's been life-changing all over again. And you see the, the impact of sclerals when they first came out was life-changing for patients. We yeah. all have those stories. And, and putting aberration correction on for some of our patients is like changing life all over again. Right. Because now it took them from, I can't tolerate lenses to I can wear this thing all day and see 2030, so I can wear this thing all day and see 2020 plus. So it's a whole new, whole new yeah. venture. So I agree. I think that will be definitely part of what we're doing. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Do you see any other changes with squares? I would love to get rid of midday fogging, like completely. Yeah. That would be amazing. Um, you know, with more and more advances in technology, like toric peripheral curves and, and, and just quadrant-specific lenses and molded lenses, we're seeing just so much improvement in that aspect. Um, yeah, just decreasing chair time, you know, with better, better initial fits, you know, based on technology that we already have. I, I think that's that's the way to go. You know, a lot of patients for me they come from out of town. Um, I would love to lower their visits to one or two versus three to six. You know, um, those type of things. But. So many practices practices in Southern Florida draw from Central and South America. Is that the same for you as well? Yeah, I mean we have a lot of patients, and we had more pre-COVID, of course, coming from South America, Mexico. You know, Ecuador, um, Colombia, Venezuela, uh, uh, Argentina, uh, Brazil. So, like, know. if I remember correctly, you speak six languages or seven <laughs> languages or six. I will be seven one day, maybe at yeah. our next uh, yeah. meeting. <laughs> but yeah, six, you know, right. which is fantastic. Do, do you <laughs> somehow promote that? As part of the practice? I, I do. Um, yeah, I have it like on my door, all the languages we speak. I have a lot of, you know, people who work at the Italian embassy or French right. embassy that are my patients. Uh, they feel, people feel comfortable expressing themselves in the language that they think in, that they feel in, that they speak in. And um, it's opened so many doors for me, both professionally yeah. and socially, just to be able do, to. Do speak. you promote that on your website or through social I do, media as well? I do, yeah, I do. And, and there's videos of me speaking in various languages. And well, I've met hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the eye care field. I've never <laughs> met somebody that has that large of a language. I completely base. agree. 
Yeah, completely agree. And again, in, in being in a city like Miami, which is so international, it has to be. It has to be beneficial. As I mentioned, when I came, I learned everything in English, and yeah. everyone, no one right. spoke English, right. everyone spoke Spanish, but then I decided to study Italian. So yeah. don't ask me why. I just That's <laughs> great, though. That, uh, and, uh, yeah, I love it. So you mentioned dry eye. Yes. It's part of the practice. So I have to tell you that I listened to you give a lecture recently on dry eye, and it blew me away. And it was a combination of the material was really super interesting, right? And of course, the presentation was great and all that stuff. But man, has dry eye changed. You know, for a guy that's been around, like in my generation, in our ophthalmology group, the treatment was try these samples of, yeah. of these different lubricants, and the one you like, just buy some. So yeah. I tell my patients that using an eye drop alone is like watering a plant in a desert. It works for two seconds. But yeah. right. you got to change the environment, yeah. Yeah. you know? And dry analogy. eye is so, there's, we have so many things now. And it's, it's great. I mean, there's a nasal spray coming out. It's, there's always something on the front line of right. dry eye, and I love it. And people are so grateful because everyone, a lot of people, just push it to the side, like, yeah. use these drops. That's, that was the standard before, and now we have all this that we can use. So it's just, it's so rewarding. Do you think a lot of the change in dry eye and how we manage it is not necessarily the treatment, but the diagnostic Exactly. Tools we have so that so that we can actually tease out the real root cause right. for a there's lot so of our patients. So many different causes. Yeah. You know, there's so many different causes for dry eye. You gotta identify what is causing it. It could be Sjogren's syndrome, you know, warm compress is not right. gonna work for that. Right. You know what I mean? So you really gotta figure out what is it and then you figure out what the treatment is. And there's so many treatments, but you can't use, it's not like a one formula works for everyone. Sure. Just like scleral lenses, you know, sure. just like myopia management, everything has to be designed for our patients, you know? Well, that's what I think is so sophisticated, right? You take the yeah. combination of instrumentation, Jason, like you said, that tells you what you're dealing with. And then, you know, between uh, over-the-counter, pharmaceutical, nutraceutical, all of the devices and stuff devices. that can help to massage In office, the eye. treatments. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. It really yeah. is. It and really and is. For, for me at least, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is, is the key to managing that patient is to not rely upon their, uh, their subjective assessment of how yeah. they feel like they're doing. You know, they come back, you put them on a treatment for a month or two, and yeah, you, you want to know how they're doing, but if you have an objective way to measure how they're doing, yeah. even if they don't feel a lot better, you can say, look, look at the progress. We're on the right track. Yeah. Stick with Medicine it. Medicine is yeah. preventative. It has to be. Glaucoma has no symptoms, you know? Right. Um, yes. There's so many things that are asymptomatic, but they need to be treated or else they deteriorate. And, and my bone gland dysfunction is one of those. And, you know, it's like, it's like cavities. I mean, you don't feel it for the first eight right. months, and then all of a sudden you need a root canal. Yeah. You know, it's you know it's I mean? marvelous, and and the I think it's an excellent point which you mentioned about the tracking of it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's not just telling you it's different; it's being able to show you that it's actually different. Correct. Yeah. Hey, I think we're getting close to the end of our time, so we probably need to. Uh, other than I need to make some comments about you know, you and I. Yeah. We have, really haven't been very mean to each other this no. program. Well, you know, Why not? Is it because I'm here? No, Are I you think, guys you behaving? know, it's, it's COVID. We're out of sync. 
<laughs> no. and it's, it's, I'm so happy to see the guy. I don't want I, to pick on him, right? <laughs> and see, I don't care. I would pick on him. And I've been kind of dealing with the glare from these uh, spotlights above us. Right. But I've been trying to be kind to you. But Okay. You know. So now I have to mention it. The whole right side of your face is blue <laughs> because of the sign. And I was a little worried about you for a moment until I figured out it was the sign. And now, okay, good, good. Yeah, it's, I and no, that. I won't sit there for the next episode. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything else, but... Uh, so, at least, do you have any last comments you'd like to make? No, except thank you for uh, having me. It's an, I love talking to you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's terrific. It's, it's the, great. Uh, and you know, you're you're truly one of the up and coming stars in specialty contact lenses. So thank you. We're glad to have you involved. And it's so nice. I'm so happy to see you guys in person. You yeah. know, and Jason I'm, too. Kinda. Yeah, kinda. A kinda. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we see each other virtually some. You did a lecture for our students this year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and I had other students who saw you at another lecture. Did you come to Indiana or something recently? I did go to Indiana. So she, yeah. you've been all over our, our students in, at IU this year. So yeah. yeah, beautiful campus. Yeah, very nice. Well, I think, you, you know, obviously it's great to have you in front of students. You're an inspiration, Thanks. especially for those that are interested in doing something other than working for somebody else, right? Right. I think I'll just end by saying, you know, if you have a goal, like, go for it. Don't just put it to the side because it's always doable. And it's just get in there and just do it, you know? Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's true. I think for, for someone who's had a diverse background getting to where you are from French-speaking Canada to Miami yeah. to disease residency to specialty lenses, yeah. I mean, it's just, like you say, it's, I appreciate that, following that goal. Quite a story. Yeah. You know, it, it really is quite a story. Yeah. So we'd like to thank everybody that has taken the time to uh, attend this episode of May I Interrupt. Uh, we're here live at the American Academy of Optometry. This is our second season, the inaugural episode. Our first guest this evening is Dr. Elise Kramer. We're so happy to have her here. And because you're a so special gift, you get a golf ball. Thank you. I'm going to use it for my mini you golfing. Get, you, 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 get a, you get a golf ball. The no, rest, what of, I, the rest what of the was, guests are getting luggage, airplane tickets. What I was going to say, if you'd let me talk, Craig, oh, sorry. Mike Hogg, is that this merchandise, I imagine if you guys, anybody's watching this and wants it, if you contact Oculus or your rep, I imagine you could get some of this merch. That'd be great. Yeah, so great. for those of you who are watching this, and you're wanting this, I think you can get it if you want it, so. Excellent. Thank you very much, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.